that everybody's had a good week this week. <clears throat> As we uh, look at the uh, scripture that we'll be in today, uh, we'll be in Romans uh, chapter 8. And uh, before we get there and <clears throat> look at that scripture in Romans, uh, I've learned a lot over the years <clears throat> from being a dad, uh, from being a uh, daddy. It's what I've always called my dad, and it's what Jack has started calling me is daddy. And uh, some people call their dads different things, but <clears throat> I've learned a lot. Uh, you spend uh, the beginning of your children's life teaching them how to talk and teaching them how to walk. And then you usually spend <clears throat> the next 16 years telling them to be quiet and sit down. Um, mothers of uh, teenagers know why a lot of insects uh, or animals eat their young. And uh, another thing about children is, you know, Jack and Leela, they very rarely ever misquote me. <clears throat> In fact, they usually repeat exactly what I say word for word and it's exactly what I shouldn't have said. And, you know, as we hold birthday parties and different things like that over the years, you know, I've realized the main reason to hold these birthday parties and these gatherings is to remind ourselves that our children are not the worst. <laughs> uh, there are worse kids than them out there. Uh, we we childproof our homes, but they're still getting, you know, in and tearing things up. You know, we... We be nice to your kids, and they're going to choose where you go to a nursing home. They're going to choose where you're going to go to one day. Uh, I sometimes think that one of the reasons God lets us have children is we can see what we put him through with our own children. Uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to focus on God's family and the family of God which we've already touched on last week, and we're going to probably continue to do that. Our own earthly fathers, the fathers that we have here, even though some of them are good, some of them are not so good, they really haven't done a great job to demonstrate our Heavenly Father's love and character to us. Now, I'm not saying anything about your daddy or your, or your dad or whatever you call him. I don't care who they are. They probably did not purvey the true character and, and, and sh sh the Heavenly Father this love that he gives us. I think that Jesus was aware of this. And even in spite of it, he urged us to call God our Father. This might be because we are come to God with the attitude of little children. And we should. It also might be because throughout our journey as Christians, we discovered just how incredible God our Father's love is compared to our earthly fathers. And last week, we covered how we identify, how we know who we are. And we dealt with the lie that many of us believe, that what you do and what you learn to be truth, it helps you become who you are. And we came to realize that God has given each person who has trusted in him a brand new identity. You're his child. Discovering what it means to be the in the family of, of God first requires us to discover what it means to be a child of God. Now, obviously, in God's family, God is the head, the father, but who are we? We are his children. How do we get to be his children? 
We learned it was through trusting our lives to Jesus Christ. And we learned that we were slaves before we became children of God. We were undeserving of the title children of God. And yet God chose to love us and give us value. We also learned that as a child of God, we are no longer have to feel like we're slaves. In fact, part of the of, of this particular series or this, this gearing together, we're going to be geared to helping you and, and helping me see the wonderful privileges that come with being God's child. In Romans chapter 8, 14 through 17, the Word of God says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. And if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also glorify together. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to come together. Lord, I pray that we can understand the scripture this morning, that we can understand what it means to be a child of the King, a child of the Savior, a child of God. And Lord, I I thank you for the the washing blood, the, the, the washing my sins away, the cleansing power that you have, and I thank you for the adoption of me. I thank you for accepting me, Lord, when I turn to you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that there's nobody here that's listening to this message that hasn't turned to you, Lord, and said, "Lord, take me." Lord, I accept you. Lord, I I believe in you today. We thank you for your many blessings in Jesus' name. I ask, Amen. Now, the first thing that we want to look at today, church, is I want you to notice that this passage says something, but it does not say these things. It does not say, as many as go to church, these are the sons of God. It doesn't say, as many as read their Bibles, these are the sons of God. It doesn't say, as many as take communion, these are the sons of God. As many as are baptized, we can keep going. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. According to this text, the test for sonship is not what a person does. It is whether or not a person is led by the Spirit of God. This is the, the, this is the paternity test for being a child of God is evidence in the Spirit of God within us. So, to be led by the Spirit, you must first possess the Spirit of God. Or better said, we must possess, He must possess you. He must own you. In other words, to become a, a child of God, you have to have the indwelling of the Spirit of God, and you must surrender the control of your life by trusting it to Jesus Christ. The title of your life must have Jesus Christ as the owner. Just as a car or a home has title or an ownership, the ownership of your life must have changed. When that occurs, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, takes up uh, ownership in your inner being. You belong to Him. So how are we led by the Holy Spirit? We're led by the Holy Spirit like a, a student is led by his teacher. Or like a traveler on a journey is led by a guide. I don't know if anybody's ever been on a, a, a travel or been on a hunt that you had a, a guide to take you through. Or you've, you've had that teacher that led you through certain things. We get direction, we get guidance, we get leadership, we get advice, we get comfort. All from the Spirit of God. 
And we are led by this still small voice inside our hearts that says, go here, do this, speak this. Spirit relies on persuasion rather than force. In fact, Paul goes to some pains to avoid misunderstanding on this very point. He assuring us that the Spirit's leadership does not involve a new bondage, that is no improvement over the old in which fear ruled your life, probably a, a fear of consequence of your sin and, and, and the fear of death. And we, we've we covered that a lot with legalism and a lot of the, 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 the thought the thought process of Judaizers during during Paul's time. We know that we're not in bondage. We know we're not hunkered down. We have to do these things. The passage doesn't say as many as are driven uh, by the Spirit of God. It doesn't say that. The, the devil is a driver. And when he enters into man and into the hogs, he drives them. Remember how the whole herd of pigs ran violently down a steep place into the sea? The Holy Spirit leads. Satan drives you to do things. The Spirit leads you to do these things. He directs you. He does not coerce you. You never have so much freedom of choice as when you are led by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And this is why the Bible says that we can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We do so by re refusing or resisting to do what he shows us to do. But resisting or refusing his, his leading does not disqualify us as children of God. It only makes us disobedient children of God. Think about your own children. If, you, if you're blessed to have children and you, you have these children, do they always do what you ask them to? No. Do you try to tell them what to do? Yeah. But do they always do it? No. <laughs> Are they still your children? Yes. <laughs> it's the same way with our relationship with Christ. Where does the Holy Spirit lead us? He leads us to do what the Father is doing. Not unlike what, what Jesus said when he told his disciples, I only do what the Father is doing. He leads us in the will of his Father. Are you a child of God? Is the Holy Spirit directing and speaking into your life and unleashing his power in your life? If this sounds strange to you or foreign to you, it is likely that you're not a child of God, but rather you're a religious person. Verse 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Living as a, a child of God means that you have an intimate, joyful relationship with God. Not like the bondage and fear demonstrated by the law. A child of God can have a relationship with God so close that you may cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is sort of the how a small child addresses their father. Christ uses exact same words during his agony in the garden in Mark 14, 36. In Galatians 4, 6, Because you are sons of God, God has sent forth the fruit of the Spirit. The, forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit cries out. Does this make you feel uncomfortable calling God this way? Now, this Abba Father here is what a ch small child calls their dad. And I've already went over what my son calls me. He calls me Daddy. Now, I'm not telling you to change what you're calling God in your prayers or how you talk to God, but I want you to realize the very close personal relationship that Jesus is trying to demonstrate to God. It should be so close that you look to him as close as your own dad. If you're blessed to have a dad, what do you call him? Dad? Daddy? Papa? I don't, I don't, I don't know what you call him. 
but you need to have such a close relationship with God that you would almost equally refer to them the same way. Does it make you uncomfortable to think about calling God daddy? <laughs> Does that feel too intimate? Does it feel too personal? Too familiar? If you're like most Christians, the answer is yeah. Yeah, that makes you feel too 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 familiar. We've been brainwashed to see God as this big guy in the sky, the holy God who's who's busy with important stuff of the world, the distant one who can only hear us when we have the right words and the right formulas and the right things to say and the exact right salutations to use. And I, I want you to realize something. That's wrong. God is holy and uh, unapproachable and awesome and fearful, yet we, we choose to call, he chooses to call us his children. If your father is a doctor and someone chose to go visit him, they would have to sign their name and wait in a waiting room and wait in another room and have to possibly get undressed in the examination room and wait for some more until he comes to see them. But I want you to realize that you're the son. If you want to go see your dad, that is the doctor, you go right into his office and you sit down immediately. Why? Because that's your dad. You don't need an appointment to go see your dad. You don't call him doctor. You call him daddy, papa. Pops, you know, whatever it is that you call your dad. No other world religion knows God as daddy. Only in Christ can you claim that. God desires you to know him that way and to have such an intimate relationship that you can call him that. It is absurd to try to call him daddy if you've rejected him and his son. It would be another formula for trying to figure something out that you want. To have intimacy with Father God, you must develop that intimacy daily. Growing in love as God's child with your Father who has adopted you. The Holy Spirit whom you have received does not produce an anxious state of mind, such as those experienced who are under the law or living by their works, but He produces the feelings of affection, reverence, confidence. It enables us out of the fullness of our hearts, to call God our Father. Last week, we talked a little bit about how the Roman slaves had occasionally uh, uh, bought and paid for their slaves and adopted them as their own sons. That way they could have an heir. Under Roman adoption, the law, the, the life and, and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son had lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out and with, with all these debts being canceled, with nothing from his past counting against him anymore, when we give our lives to Jesus, the same thing happens. We belong to a new father. We are a child of the king. We cry out. We don't have to whisper, Daddy. We don't have to say, Daddy. As if we're hesitant to speak. Instead, we cry out children that cannot speak. I want you to think about a little child, and I think about Jack and Lila when they're little babies. They can't talk. How do they show their affections toward us? How do they let us know what they need when they're in, the, in, in needs of something? They cry. They get loud. They want us to know. They have no way of, of, of telling us. And I want you to know something. A lot of Christians, though, they don't know how to pray. And the most effective thing that we can do is just cry out to the Lord. Cry out to him. Say whatever we need to say. We may not know exactly how to say it or what to say or when to say it, but we need to say something. Our crying out doesn't lead to this fear. 
That's where we came from. Performance-based living, fear-based living. Our, our Heavenly Father has not given us the spirit of fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. John assures us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I'll read that again. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Have you ever had to testify in a, in a trial before a court of law? Your testimony is what is needed to provide evidence of something. The evidence that we are children of God is from the Holy Spirit. He testifies or bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. There's a definition of assurance. It's the inward evidence of assurance is revealed by the Holy Spirit to our understanding and confirmed by our own conscience resulting in a confident knowledge that we are children of God. I often come in contact with Christians who have prayed to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord who after a few months wonder if they're Christians. That's a pretty common conversation that I've, I've heard and I've seen. They don't feel good. They don't have that high that they had when they first began to walk with God. They, they struggle with their salvation and even the fact that they belong to Christ at all. And I, I let, me, let me say that you can know that you know that you know that you belong to Christ and nothing can reverse that. The only way you can belong to Christ is to refuse to surrender your life to Him. If you gave your heart to Jesus and trusted to Him for your future and for your forgiveness, then the Holy Spirit will testify that you belong to Christ. My boy may not feel like he belongs to me, but I want you to realize something. I will testify that he belongs to me. No matter what he does, he's my boy. He may do the most awful things in the world that a lot of people would shun and give him up, but he is still mine. My blood still runs through his veins. He is mine, and I own him. John wrote in his gospel, These things have I written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you hope, not that you think, not that you feel, that you do. You know it. It is the testimony that the Holy Spirit gives that provides that we are children. There was a wealthy man that had a faithful assistant in his office one day, and he said, you know what, I'm going to put your name in my will, and someday you'll receive $10,000. It may be a while before I die, before you get that legacy, but I want to, I want to make you happy now. All right now, I'm going to start paying you interest on the money each year. Here's a check for $600. Now, that would surprise a lot of us. Now, the prospect of being an inheritor to that money is great, but you have to realize that there is good news right now. The money he received in advance gave him complete assurance. The assurance is the Holy Ghost. The assurance is being filled with the Spirit and being led. He is the down payment for our future inheritance. We don't walk by the Spirit to become children of God. We walk by the Spirit because we are children of God. You cannot walk by the Spirit if you're not a child of the King. You can do good stuff. You can be a nice person. You can even live sacrificially. But those things won't make you a child of God. Only surrendering will. Surrender will produce changes in our lives by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. There are also Christians who, 
whose heads are so foggy from spiritual attack, they begin to believe the lie that they are not God's children at all. Even so, the witness of the Spirit is still there in what we call conviction of sin. How many of you heard that word? Conviction. The Holy Spirit testifies that you are a child of God because as long as you are a child of God, it will be hard for you to sin without feeling the grief that you that you cause the Holy Spirit. Why is this? Because the Holy Spirit has united God to our spirit. And we are literally, we literally feel the crush of what we do to God. So the spirit within us is continuously bearing witness that we are a child of God. Our relationship to sin, listen to me right now. Our relationship to our sin will never be the same. Before we were saved, we chased after sin. Now that we are saved, sin chases after us. And the spirit within us will not let us be comfortable towards sin. How many of you had a sinful life, had things that you did over the, over the course of so many years, and you got saved by God's grace? And buddy, you just don't feel right doing that stuff anymore. Yeah, you might do some stuff from time to time, but buddy, you feel convicted. You know that you've done wrong as soon as you do it. I, I, I'm, I'm that way. I know right from wrong. Spirit shows me. And now that we are, are saved, that sin comes after us. We no longer chase after it. It chases after us. In verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also glorify together. Heirs. Heirs. Because we are in Christ. We have the privilege of relating to the Father as Jesus does. Therefore, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, and being a child of God means what? We have an inheritance. In Luke 18, 18, it talks about a rich young ruler that asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit? But the rich young ruler missed the point because inheritance is not a matter of, of doing. It is a matter of being, of being in the right family. A son is an heir, not by virtue or, or things that you've done, but by your birth. It's by birth. If you were a child of Bill Gates, you'd expect to inherit all his wealth. <laughs> it wouldn't matter if he, was a, if he adopted you or if you were a natural child in the eyes of the law, you would be his child and his heir, and so you would be inheriting. And, and heirs inherit something. And what do we inherit? And Paul makes it clear, an heir of God through Christ, we inherit God himself. For some, this might seem like a strange inheritance. <laughs> But for those who are really in Christ, who really love God, to be an heir of God is the richest inheritance of all. If you're a child of God, you have an inheritance. You have assurance. You have something like a daddy. You're not illegitimate. you got a daddy who cares about you. God loves you enough. God will prove that he loves us each and every day. The question we must ask, are you sure today that you're a child of God? I want you to think about the different kinds of people that you see in this world. The different kinds of people. If I, I've spent some times in the airport here recently, and I, I look around, I see the different types of passengers who hold tickets. 
Now, those who are on standby and the ones who have these confirmed tickets, they read newspapers, they chat with their friends, they may sleep, they may do different things, and the one on standby hang around by the ticket counter. If you don't have that ticket, you're not confirmed. You'll pace, you'll pace, you'll pace, and the difference is a confidence. If you knew that in 15 minutes you would stand in judgment before the Holy God and learn your eternal destiny, what would your reaction be? Would you pace? Would you say to yourself, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know what God's going to say. I don't know if he'll say welcome home. I don't know if he'll say depart from me. I never knew you. What is your answer? Are you nervous? Are you unsure? I will encourage you today to surrender to him, complete and total surrender, and let Jesus fill you up and make you his own. Think about what God is in your life. Does the Spirit lead you? Are you part of His family? Are you a child of the King? We have quite a good blessing and a thing to look forward to one day. I'm proud to say that I, I'm, a, I'm looking forward to that inheritance, which is God. Spending time with Him, meeting Jesus face to face, seeing the nail-scarred hands, it's going to be a blessing. To see the man that died for me. And I hope that you feel the same way this morning. We love you. We appreciate you. And I hope that you have a good week.